The following podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network. Find all the shows by visiting bluecollarroots.com. Think of this show in this way. Rush Limbaugh and Howard Stern had a child, and that child grew up to have a podcast about building science. This is the opposite of that. Here's Bill Spone. Welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. What's our goal to help create better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians? By helping these professions better understand each other with the goal of making happy customers in the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. Well, my experience in uh, HVAC and building performance in the last 30 years, I've noticed a need for the union of these two fields, HVAC and building performance. I've met a lot of interesting people along the way. And some of the people are organizers, and that's what you need to have is organizers to get people talking, to feed information to policymakers, to talk with utilities, etc. Today's episode, we'll be speaking with Ryan Miller. He's the founder and executive director of the North Carolina Building Performance Association. Now, I've never thought that entrepreneurship relates to trade associations. I just always thought they existed. Well, dummy, dumb me. I should have known better in this really new world of building performance, sometimes you need to create things. And that's what Ryan did, is he created a trade association. So let's talk with Ryan, or let's listen to Ryan talk with me, and talk about how he believes that poor building performance is one big problem to solve. He's been trying to solve it and working his best to do that for the last dozen or so years. And he's doing it right now in North Carolina. So let's listen up as Ryan talks about the North Carolina Building Performance Association. Again, Ryan Miller. Let's hear what he has to say. Good morning, Ryan. How are you? Hi, Bill. Very well. How are you? Good. So where are you calling in from today? Raleigh, North Carolina, where it's cold, sunny, and just doing fine down here. Okay. So you're in North Carolina. What are you doing there? What's that about? Yeah. North Carolina's got some amazing geography. I grew up in Atlanta and went to Austin, Texas to kind of find myself in my late 20s and uh, decided that North Carolina was a good place to be. We're about two hours to the beach here and about four hours to some really good mountains in Asheville. And so geography, climate, everything is just wonderful here. I really enjoy it. I know a little bit about you. I've known you probably what, six years or so, five or six years. Yep. I think so. You enjoy the outdoors. And that seems to be a common theme that I see in both the trades, HVAC, and in building performance people, home performance individuals. They seem to enjoy the outdoors and getting out in nature. Tell me about what you're doing right now in North Carolina. You are, how would you say, managing the Building Performance Association? To the best of my abilities, I'm leading our industry. And there's a couple of different slices and flavors to that. But if you see my activity on LinkedIn, yes, I'm trying to uh, be our industry cheerleader and also uh, lead organizer amongst other job titles I probably need to have listed on there. So what does that involve? What is the North Carolina Building Performance Association? Who makes it up and what do you do in general? Sure. So we are a not-for-profit trade association. So just like any other industry, whether it's the home builders or the realtors or any other group has a not-for-profit trade association that represents their best interests, that's what we do. And we decided five years ago, a little over five and a half to kind of take this on to brand ourselves as building performance, which was both a huge opportunity, but also a challenge. And so I guess before we dive in too far, just kind of our purview is um, new and existing residential and commercial, and then all other types of buildings. And what we really care about is just making them better, whether it's through retrofit work or new construction. And of course, there's a lot of different 
ways to do that, whether it's energy, water, health, comfort, safety, all of those are really on our agenda. And so the goal of the trade association is to represent our companies and our professionals. We try to grow the industry kind of from a not-for-profit trade association perspective that's different from nonprofit groups that are out there that folks are familiar with is that we really do focus on making our companies more money and making our industry professionals have better career and job opportunities. And since we work in the green building, energy efficiency, high-performance building space, when we do that, helping them be more successful, then we meet our environmental and consumer goals as well. So is there a membership in the association and is it only existing in North Carolina? We do have company memberships is how we work. So we're kind of based on the number of employees in a company. And most of our companies are probably less than 10 or 15 employees. We've got about 225 or so companies right now all across the state. And then we have some from out of state. So we have probably about 20 or 25 companies, mostly on the product manufacturing side that are also members of our association. We have opportunities for them to participate in committees and volunteer at events and, of course, also serve on our board of directors. And that's the group that really sets the strategy and the priorities for the work that we do. And it's not just North Carolina. You Do you work nationally or in other states? The short answer is that we are a wholly independent entity in North Carolina with the North Carolina perspective. But I think, Bill, some of the work that you and I have come across is when I helped to set up the Georgia Building Performance Association. We then did one in South Carolina, and then we did one in Maryland as well, working with a lot of partners and some existing organizations through the Efficiency First Network of chapter organizations there. And we don't have any direct alignment at the national level. And I think that because we're still a relatively new organization, kind of branding, building performance still, up until very recently, not to make any announcements here on the podcast that we don't need to, but there hasn't been a national building performance association of any sort. But it seems like those things have changed recently, and I think that we've contributed to that. Can you just give us a definition of building performance from your perspective? Wow. So depending on who you talk to, of course, it's going to change. But generally speaking, when we talk about building performance, we like to focus on the end result and hopefully a quantifiable, measurable end result. So if we're talking to consumers, whether it's a homeowner or a building owner, maybe a industrial facility manager, and talk to them about building performance, we'll say, we've got 10 different benefits that high-performance construction in some form or fashion can help you in. And whether it's energy efficiency and energy savings, some people like that, consumers in particular, homeowners nowadays are really more interested in health and, and comfort, and that can drive them to have an audit or have a home performance or HVAC contractor come out. So our recommendation to our member companies when they go out and have to sell building performance, since of course, they're the ones that are actually in the field selling the products and services, is that they come with 10 items in their tool belt and figure out which one is really going to get the hook for that customer and then do their best to sell those other ones and realize that all 10 of those benefits are probably going to come with the work, no matter which one the customer is the most interested in. Yeah. And I think in the last few months, I've kind of come up with a, a phrase that's resonating in my mind. It's what people want, but don't know how to ask for. <laughs> That's vague enough to be accurate, I think, Bill, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so vagary level 10. Yes. <laughs> but given energy efficiency being so behind the scenes and then talking about building performance as kind of this high-level benefit slash activity that industry folks go out there and perform, there is some vagueness that we have to address and be cognizant of. So does any of the work you do involve how 
contractors speak to consumers or clients? Is there anything that's sort of squishy area, but I think it's important if people don't know how to ask for it. Yeah, definitely. So we at the Trade Association are not the industry experts of how to sell people on a product or service in the field. That's what our industry companies and our members are for. And that's why we have to have active volunteers, committee members, board members is to help us make sure that we're doing that connecting. Our job is to organize and to plan and to strategize and to offer services and benefits to our industry professionals in North Carolina, but also influence regional and national decisions and opportunities. So we, in that case, will be happy to organize an event around consumer marketing, consumer education. We have three different websites that we operate. Our newest one is actually launching in two days. And it's a commercial website for building owner and operator education to basically orient them around what building performance is and how it impacts their building. But when it comes to really actively selling them on a message or any one of those 10 messages in the toolkit, we really leave that to our industry companies and want to give them the benefit and the opportunity to sell that work. There must be work that you do in terms of connecting with legislators and government activities and utilities. Can you describe some of those kind of things that interface? Sure. So one of my job titles is the Green Building Lobbyist for North Carolina. So for the past three years, I've been NCBPA's lobbyist. And as a trade association, that's kind of one of the fundamental roles of the executive director, or at least the staff, is that sometimes you'll want to have contract legislative or government affairs lobbying support. But in the association world, what you quickly learn is that a hired gun may be able to do a specific job, but speaking on behalf of your membership in your industry and really speaking from the heart and with truth and with most experience, that's really a role for staff, for example. So that's why about three years ago, I did register as our lobbyist. And over the last three years, we sort of watched other people's legislative activity. And then last year, we kind of had one bill that we were trying to push and Now, all of a sudden, in two weeks, we're going to be starting North Carolina's long legislative session here, and we have 10 bills that we're working on. So from a legislative perspective, we're immensely active. There's very few other organizations, unfortunately, that are focused on building energy efficiency, since from that perspective, we don't really say performance a whole lot until we kind of dig into it. But we've seen great successes. Our governor passed an executive order last fall, and the third item on the list was state building energy savings. And It actually matched the language that we had created for one of our bills. One of our top priorities is on performance contracting in the public building sector, and that was a match. And we do try to work with local governments across the state that are interested in local ordinances or incentives or anything that they can do to promote building energy efficiency and building performance. And then from a utility perspective, our strategy has never been to fight a utility or to intervene in a rate case, for example. Instead, we try to work with the utility, the biggest in our state, of course, being Duke Energy, which is second largest utility in the entire country. We don't want to fight with them. We want to find ways to identify good programs and support contractors in their programs. And we've had a great relationship with them. And I think that we're trying to push a little bit more in that direction of greater energy efficiency and then bring in the rural electric cooperatives and local municipality-based utilities whenever possible. There's just so much opportunity out there. And unfortunately, energy efficiency has really just been at the end of the list for uh, discussions in North Carolina for the last several years. From your standpoint, personally, you've worked at various companies. Did some of it include field work or is it mostly sort of this discussion and organization work? I guess I'm sort of a business generalist, jack of all trades, master of maybe not too many, so to speak. But 
when I did first move to North Carolina eight years ago, I worked for a home performance contracting firm called Green Horizon that's as of about a year and a half ago was sold to an HVAC company and I was the operations manager. So when we talk to our member companies and go to national conferences and answer questions from people about what's the association strategy about, or maybe how do you know? Well, I have direct experience getting to work at 6.15 in the morning and loading an insulation truck and hiring and firing off of Craigslist and managing inventory and Davis-Bacon wage reporting and things like that. That field experience was kind of short for me because it's a tough business and I essentially had to fire myself when we weren't making enough money. But I'm an industry organizer and problem solver and renovating my own house that I'm still working on has been a tremendous experience for me. But the happiest I am is when I'm out in the field working with our members, either at their office or at a job site and can really see what they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis and then try to figure out how we can do work at the association to support them. We were talking this summer, we met at the Habitat X conference this summer up in Montana, and you were telling me one of your original job tasks was with Home Depot. Would you care to explain that? I think it's an interesting thing. It sort of shows the idea about efficiency and economy and the relationship to business that sort of underlines you. That goes back a number of years too. Yeah, it definitely does. So I worked at Home Depot in the paint department in college. That's pretty much how I paid for myself to go through college. And when I was there and learning about Home Depot growing up in Atlanta, this was back in 2001, two kind of time frame. So construction was booming. Home Depot was looking to take over the world essentially, right? With their big box retail. So I wanted a job there out of college. And so my first job out of college was uh, business consulting. I couldn't really find something at Home Depot, but they did recruit me to join an internal audit leadership development program, which was a um, pretty amazing program. So I get in there having graduated from college with a 2.7 GPA because I was working, paying for college and uh, didn't really do too well in finance or accounting, but they saw a lot of potential in me. So going there as the youngest person in the program at, I think I was 23 and a half, maybe 24 at the time, basically working with MBAs with 10, 15 years of experience who'd been out in the world doing all this work. And I'm just kind of a dumb, naive, little bit of an arrogant kid who had worked in the paint department, maybe had some ideas. But as you mentioned, one of my best stories, short version being that in one of our trainings with uh, someone that had worked at GE and Six Sigma and process improvement and During a break in one of our training sessions, I kind of whiteboarded for the group how if uh, Home Depot simply changed their return policy for paint, which is kind of called oops paint. So you buy paint, you take it home, you don't like it, you bring it back, you get a full refund, essentially. I think I whiteboarded that we would save about $60 million per year if we changed the policy to either disallow it or just not provide a full refund. And I think it was a couple of weeks later that that hit the priority target list for corporate and I never, of course, got any real credit for it other than being able to be the claim to fame that you can't return paint at Home Depot anymore because of me, which some people listening are probably pretty mad at me. So I'm sorry. I hear the screaming already. I think this is called the Miller Rule, right? (laughs) Ryan Miller, the Miller Rule. Some other guy. I didn't do it. You're pretty well connected. You travel around to different conferences to meet with people. I mean, you have like a really rich aspect to what you're talking about. And being a generalist too and trying to bring all this together, what do you do to learn to self-educate? Sure. And going to conferences really is the best way to do that. I wish I could go to more. The Habitat X conference last year in Montana was great. It was also my personal vacation because we just can't afford to send me to all these different national and regional conferences that would be a good learning opportunity for me. But also a great promotional opportunity for our members. So I try to be very careful with that. I'm going to the upcoming IBS International Builder Show in Las Vegas. And 
somehow I was able to book a flight and two nights of hotel rooms for about $430 through Southwest. So plug for those folks. But I'm actually going to present the award that I won last year as the Young Green Professional of the Year Award through NAHB. And that's a great opportunity to support the industry, support other folks that are looking to be more progressive and offer leadership in the industry. And so I think going to the ResNet conference, IBS, HPC conference as well, and then a lot of conferences at the state and regional level, just to be able to make connections, recruit members, recruit sponsors, and really just talk about the work that we're doing and encourage other organizations, whether state-based, regional, nonprofit, not-for-profit, whatever they are, to get invested in the kind of industry organizing work that we're doing. It's a lot of opportunity there. So congratulations on the award. Thank you. You said the Young Green Professional by the U.S. That was from the National Association of Home Builders for the HB. Yeah, 2017, awarded just about a year ago. That's the only award I've ever won, actually. It was a pretty good one. All right. (laughs) (laughs) What's sort of the thing that keeps you going? You see that change is needed. You mean you're still engaged with this? You've been doing it for a number of years. What motivates you to keep going? So I look at this industry as just one big problem to solve, but I'm not so selfish or arrogant that I think that I'm going to solve it, whether on my own or over the next 30 years of my career or anything like that. When you asked earlier about sort of my professional acumen, my superpower is obsessive compulsive personality disorder, which essentially makes me a perfectionist when it comes to work and maybe some other fun things to deal with in my personal life. But what it really means is that I like to grab onto problems and solve them and specifically business problems. And so when you look at this industry and our role in forming the trade association and leading profit and progress at the industry level, is that there are just so many problems to solve. Our four-point strategic plan at NCBPA is market valuation, which is improving the financial value, whether to homeowners, building owners, or contractors out doing the work, that the work they do is worth more money. The second one is policy and legislation, because we just haven't had a strategy or a plan. In North Carolina, there's been two pieces of legislation in the last 23 years on energy efficiency, and that's just sad. The other two legs of that stool are workforce development, which I could talk all day long about workforce development. And when it comes to the national level or the state level, you can't point towards a career pathway in building energy efficiency or building performance. It doesn't exist. I challenge anybody to go Google it. You won't find it because I've been looking for it for a year and a half. So gosh darn it, we're going to build it. The last one is consumer education. And so what's the problem? Well, we always want consumers to find us and understand our work more and better how do we do that? But the bigger challenge to me is how do we do that as an association? I can't fund billboards on the side of roads and I'd love to have radio ads and TV ads, but those are very few and far between from our member companies. And so the problem that we have to solve as an industry and as an association is what can we do together to help improve consumer education and also those other areas? Do you see any sort of bright points of light out there around the country, maybe not in your area or things you want to do in your area with regard to those four points, market valuation, policy, workforce development, and consumer education. Are there some things going on out there that can be brought forth to other states? There's definitely great things going out there from folks that we work with or just hear about. And one of the funny things is that there's probably almost too many. And there's a lack of sort of coalescing around those issues, I suppose. On the policy side, it's easy to think about, let's say in North Carolina, we want to pass some energy efficiency building performance policies in 2020. Well, what website or resource do I go look at to say, 
okay, here's some opportunities that you should look at. Here's some benchmarks. Here's some resources. Here's some draft legislation. That doesn't really exist. There's not just one place you'd have to go to a couple of different organizations. And of course, everybody kind of has a different lean, but you can see successes in Massachusetts working with their utilities, Virginia, working with their state government. We're not allowed in the South to talk about either California or New York because, of course, they're just far too progressive. (laughs) But we do look at them and what California is looking to do in the next five years is something that we'd like to do in North Carolina maybe 15 years from now. And I'm okay with that. That's a good strategy to have is to say, let's look at the farthest out thing on code or consumer education or utility incentive programs and let's scale that in and be reasonable. And I think that's one of the things that NCEPA that was one of our strengths really is already to try to coalesce and organize and do some research on those issues and then put a strategy in place of how do we actually get that work done in our industry. So I wish I had more time to do more work with other partner organizations all over the country and learn from them and just bring those things back to North Carolina. But the fact of the matter with workforce development and market valuation is that we are at the leading edge in research and development on these resources and just need to find a better way to help other organizations get them involved in their markets. One thing that I like what you said and it was a little while ago is you talked about measurable and quantifiable. Is that the breaking away from the notion of just checklists, but more about taking the measurements of verifying quality control? What's your view on that for the process, the process of building performance? You're exactly right. You said it very well. And so I think one of the data points that we have on the market valuation side, for example, so I think people in our industry know that there's many different benefits to a high-performance retrofit new construction home or building. Of course, we can talk all day long about that, but what's the actual financial value? And so to go back to your other question, there's been some spot studies across the country that have found for this selection of 400 Energy Star homes or maybe in the city of Portland, Oregon or somewhere in Colorado, there's been spot studies and different programs to show that there is a higher sale price, less days on market, things like that. Well, that's okay, but some market here in North Carolina doesn't really want to do a clear benchmark based off of something that is happening up in Portland, Oregon. That's pretty far away from us geographically. So last year, we released a study that showed that here in the Raleigh Triangle market where I am, there's a 22% price premium for a high-performance home selling versus basically a code-built, non-certified, non-rated home. I mean, that's a massive number. It's tens of thousands of dollars of a difference. And when we release that number and then the number of sort of our three metro markets, which would include the Charlotte and the Triad markets, it was a 9.5% average. And the numbers varied from about 0.9% premium in Triad to about 9% or so in Charlotte and then 22% Raleigh and kind of averaged up to 9.5%. But the point of that being, let's show home builders associations that when they build new construction homes to perform well, there's going to be a financial return for that builder that's going to help them address a lot of their concerns about upfront cost and affordability and then kind of where does long-term value come in. And to show realtors that if they also invest in building energy efficiency and retrofits and certification programs and upgrades and things like that, that they can have a higher commission, they can have a better sale price for their customer. But the goal at the end of the day and kind of that measured value is not to artificially inflate a residential or a commercial market from a real estate perspective. The goal is to show that high-performance homes and buildings work better and that they have lasting value for many, many years to come. Work better, 
healthier, lower energy. I mean, there's a lot of qualities to the work better aspect. And it's interesting because I'm in the process of building a high performance home. Pretty soon we got to sit down and talk to the banks about a construction loan. So it's going to be an interesting process as one of my friends has done this and they had very little respect for uh, high performance. And that was in Maryland. So I'm going to see what it's like here in Pennsylvania. Uh, it's going to be an interesting journey that I'm going to go through here shortly. I wish you the best of luck and encourage you and anybody else out there to look at kind of some of the new models developing with the total cost of ownership, where you can do some software modeling around this high performance home that I am going to build is going to be worth more and cost less in the long run than a code-built home because of the low energy, low water usage, things like that. There's ways to calculate that now. And that's just one of those other things we're trying to get out there in the market. Do you have any specifics on that? I mean, I'm getting real interested here. Yeah. Well, talk to Kerry Langley down in Atlanta. He's a great friend of mine. I saw him here in Raleigh a couple of weeks ago. And what we're actually working on is a pilot program with some of our builder members through NCBPA to help educate them about how to market certifications and ratings and things like that. So you've got to involve the realtor, the builder, the home energy rater, the appraiser is really the crux of it so that the home appraises. What are those solar panels on top of the roof? I have no idea how to properly value those. Well, you're fired. You know, that's what you're supposed to do. You fire them, get them out of there, get somebody else in. But the lender has a huge part of this equation, particularly if you're going after construction financing. And if they see that it's going to be a better built home and it's going to have lower utility bills and lower operating costs, then it's going to be easier for you to afford that mortgage, whether it's fixed on income or not, there's just a wealth of resources that are starting to come available. And I think our industry needs to be investing more time in those. Pretty cool. I'll be talking more about this as I wander through this thorny woods, this path that I'm <laughs> headed on. What would be your goal? When would you say your work is done? What does the future look like when you say, you know, darn it, I've accomplished it? That's a great question. It's a fun one to talk about. What I've been saying for a couple of years, particularly when someone says, well, what is a trade association, why do I need one? My goal would be, well, we want to be a boring kind of steady trade association that you're not really hearing about as far as being innovative and all this kind of stuff, because that's not really the goal. The goal is to manage the industry and to make sure that we're being successful and then help other organizations, whether it's your member companies or your partners, that are better skilled in being innovative and doing research and market development and things like that. The trade association is half offense, half defense. And right now with NCBPA, we are so much on offense. And so any idea that we can come up with to my members email or call and they say, hey, Ryan, I think that we should look into this utility incentive program or, hey, Ryan, I think that we need to invest more time in helping to create an apprenticeship program for building automation and controls. And we jump on those things. And that's why we have so much work that is going on at NCBPA between our three full-time staff and one part-time staff. And there's the defensive work is we've got to be ready for that as well. But traditional associations spend a lot of time on defense and then are very strategic on the offensive side. And then you kind of push the puzzle pieces around and sort of the cups to make sure that the right actors are in the right places. And that's where I think the fun kind of long-term goal for NCBPA is, is that we're not out there being so innovative and sort of shaking things up and being disruptive because we don't need to be. We're sort of working behind the scenes with our partners and our members to put other people in those places, but still obviously have our business to account for and can do all the right things. It's kind of a fun thing to think about being in startup mode and kind of entrepreneurial mode with where we are now. 
and then investing in other organizations and other people that can contribute to that success and kind of help bear that fruit of our labor. So if someone wanted to find out more about this, what's the best resources, the best places we can direct them? They probably have to call me and find me on LinkedIn. Okay. We've got a lot of information up on our website at buildingnc.org. And we've got some presentations that we've done in the past about here's why you should be considering a state-based building performance association, maybe a regional-based in your market. There's a lot of different reasons to do it. There's a couple of the other trade associations out there that also offer similar messages, similar services and whatnot. But part of my job is to promote this opportunity and learn from other markets. And that's why the work that we did to help reconfigure what used to be Efficiency First Maryland and is now the Maryland Building Performance Association was so helpful for us because we just learned a lot about another market. And then we brought those benefits back to North Carolina and now have a sister organization that we can work with when we need to. I'm always happy to speak with anybody from Texas to Connecticut to California to wherever about this opportunity and encourage them to take it on as well. Very good. So I'll I'll put that in the show notes, buildingnc.org. Any closing thoughts for listeners here? I think the only other thing I'd like to offer is just words of encouragement and a call to action that we do work more at the national level of bringing things together. As a state-based association, there's a lot of work that we can do here on the ground to organize residential contractors with commercial contractors. And our policy platform is kind of similar with just kind of nuances and code and things like that. But at the national level, I can't tell you guys that I've got 25 different organizations that are on my need to partner with list. And if we were going to be successful with even a quarter of them, that's all I would be doing is just spending my time just trying to get a partnership going with national organizations. So we need to make that easier so that organizations like us in the field at the state level can do better, but most particularly so that member companies, our contractors out there don't have to have eight, nine, 10 different memberships and certifications and go to all these different conferences. It just costs time and money and we're not focused enough. So we need to do better there, both on the new construction and the retrofit side for residential and commercial. And that's going to make us all more successful in the future. That's fantastic. It seems like you are an entrepreneur. This organization didn't exist. This was your concept to bring to North Carolina? Correct. So you had to go and pull all this together. I did. I had association consulting kind of management in my kind of early career and some of my process improvement work. And when I was in Texas, I was working for a trade association of the electric cooperatives. And so when I was at Advanced Energy and we were all talking about kind of the market problem, it wasn't just let's go train more people. It was we need a strategy and we need an organization that's going to take responsibility for policy and workforce development. And I just kind of said, yeah, I'll do that. So I quit my comfortable job with good pay, good benefits, good coworkers and things like that. And if you really want to get into it, started driving for Uber and taking out nefarious loans from family members and other people to be able to pay my way while I formed a trade association for the first time. It was not easy to say that. Not at all. And when did that process started? So the process started in December of 2013, when I really said, okay, there's a business opportunity. It happened pretty quickly. By the time we got to February, we had formed a board in February of 2014 and had our first 10 founding member companies. And then we incorporated the organization on March 17th of 2014. So we're coming up on our five years. It was a part-time gig for me for the first six months. I literally drove for Uber, took out loans, sold everything that I had, ate ramen noodles, stuff that you don't want to talk about in public, 
<laughs> you know, from a legal perspective, but but you just did. <laughs> well, no, it was all legal, is what I'm saying. You just I know. No, I mean it's in the podcast. Yes, I know, but it's just <laughs> things that I'm not proud of, but all very legal to be able to get this thing off the ground. And after six months, we were fortunate enough to get a grant to do kind of some policy advocacy work. And that's when I went full time and we hired a full time person to manage our HERS rating providership program. We leased a car and we held our first conference that just lost a ton of money, literally had a panic attack there because I just didn't know how we were going to move forward after our first six months. But five years later, it's been well worth it. It's been a huge challenge. It's been the greatest professional challenge of my life. It's been just really beneficial and rewarding. And I'm just so excited about the work that we have ahead of us and all of the opportunity. That's really what keeps me going is to know that we are solving problems and we are creating leadership in this market. And I love working with our member companies. They are just fantastic people that work so hard and deliver great results to human beings out there across North Carolina and across our region. Very awesome story, Ryan. Really, I think everybody should take a look at his website just to get an idea of sort of the depth and richness here. If you didn't get it from this conversation, you'll get it by looking at the website, buildingnc.org. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast today, Ryan. And Hopefully, we'll get the word out and get you connected with some more resources, and we'll have you back again in a little while and see how things are going with you in this world of building an organization, a trade organization for building performance. Great. Well, thank you, Bill, for the opportunity and look forward to answering questions and further discussion down the road. Okay, great. Take care. Well, thank you for listening to Ryan's story about the North Carolina Building Performance Association and what he's doing to create change, really to create change in policy, market valuation, help encourage workforce development and consumer education in this world of building performance. Hopefully it stimulated some thinking on your side. So this episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast is made possible by efforts of myself and Brian Orr, who is the mastermind behind the BCR, the Blue Collar Roots Network. You'll find all the other trade-oriented podcasts of the BCR, Blue Collar Roots Network, by going to www.bluecollarroots.com. We're helping to do our part to transform and professionalize the trade by filling in the skills gap through training and communication. I want to thank you for listening again. If you haven't subscribed, please consider doing so. If you haven't reviewed us, please consider doing so on the Apple iTunes Store. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor of this podcast, email me at bill at bluecollarroots.com. If you're in the market for tools or test instruments used in some of our podcasts, take a look at truetechtools.com and you can use the offer code HVACBS for a nice discount. And in full disclosure, I'm one of the co-owners at True Tech Tools. I want to close today with a final thought or a quote, and this is by A.A. A. Milne. I believe that's the author of Winnie the Pooh. This relates, though, to what we're talking about here. Organizing is what you do before you do something, so that when you do it, it's not all mixed up. So let's have an unmixed up day out there and stay organized. Thanks everyone for listening to the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Take care.